home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings and welcome to the podcast. My name is Doug, and so far I am proud to say that I have not electrocuted myself. Today we're going to be talking about electrical work, the good and the bad, when it's okay to DIY and when it isn't, and whether electricians are worth the expense or not. Now, these are all my own personal opinions, but they do come from my vast experience with electrical work. Yeah, right. Vast. The legal stuff is based on the Ontario Electrical Code which is based on the Canadian Electrical Code, which itself differs from the National Electrical Code in the United States. Basically, the Canadian Electrical Code lays out the rules, and the provincial electrical codes may add some specific rules or amendments of their own. Now, let me preface all of this by saying that I am not an electrician. I learned the basics from my father, who had learned the basics when he took an adult learning course at the local community college. So, no, he was not an electrician either. But simple circuits consisting of lights and switches and electrical outlets are really not too difficult. I I do hesitate when I say this because I don't want to imply that it's easy. You know what I mean? Because if you do make a mistake, if you do something wrong, or if you Guess at how something is done. You risk either zorching yourself or someone you love, or at least burning your house down. So I guess what I'm saying is that electrical is not necessarily difficult, but you should never underestimate it. But yeah, between my dad's tutelage and my own book learning, because I learned this stuff in pre-internet days, or at least in the days before I had the internet, I know how to wire plugs and lights and switches. And in some of the more complicated arrangements, there's no shortage of diagrams available for reference. But therein lies a problem. You can't necessarily rely on the information you find online because, first of all, the source may not be reliable, but the information itself may be outdated. Why? Because the electrical code is updated on a regular basis, every three years. And that means some of the rules have changed. And online, it may not be obvious that certain information is outdated. And while things may work in principle, you have to understand that these changes are due to improved safety standards. For example, 20 years ago, AFCI protection. AFCI stands for ARC fault circuit interrupter. AFCI protection was only required for bedroom circuits 20 years ago. Now it's required for the majority of household circuits with only a few exceptions. Does this mean that you can't run a new circuit on a regular standard breaker and still have it work? Of course not, but it's not going to be up to code. And while it's not necessarily more dangerous than it would have been 10 or 20 years ago, it's not going to be as safe as one that is wired according to the current standards. Now, thankfully, we're not expected to go back and rewire our houses every time a new edition of the electrical code comes out. But it's another story if you're doing renovations. New wiring 
must be done according to the current code. And here's the thing. If something new does not meet the current standards, then that's a sure sign that it wasn't inspected. And that could be a major red flag when it comes time to sell. And here's another thing. At least in Canada, electric cable is stamped with the data manufacturer. So let's say you skip the permit process. You know, and maybe you have a neighbor that routes you out or maybe you have a situation where you have to hire someone to fix something. Maybe it's something you did wrong. They're going to be able to tell how recently your electrical work was done. Just something you may want to keep in mind. And here's something else. Something that cannot be stressed enough. Illegal electrical work could potentially void your insurance. God forbid if your house burns down and the cause is determined to be electrical. And that electrical was done without proper permits and inspections. Your insurance company may refuse to pay. So anyway, I live in Ontario, Canada, and in Ontario, the rules are pretty strict as to who can do residential wiring. Either a licensed electrical contractor or the homeowner. And the homeowner must be the resident. In other words, if it's a rental property or a rental unit and you're not living there, only a licensed electrical contractor can do the work. An electrician cannot. Wait, what? What's the difference between an electrician and a licensed electrical contractor? For that, we go to Wikipedia, which I think has the simplest explanation. An electrician is a tradesman who does electrical work. A licensed electrical contractor is a business person or company that employs electricians. Basically, you need to contract with a business entity as opposed to an individual. Now, I suppose this adds a layer of responsibility, and it's probably a liability thing if something goes wrong, because a company is required to carry insurance, whereas an individual is not. And there's probably also some stuff in there about workers' compensation if someone gets hurt. If you hire an electrician who's working for you and they zap themselves, guess who's responsible? If they're working for you, you are the employer. Is that something you want to risk? But I think the main reason may be because it puts an end to the handyman type, the unlicensed contractor, from doing unauthorized electrical work. You know, when you hire someone to renovate your kitchen or bathroom, for example, and they do everything from the framing to the plumbing and the electrical? Yeah. The Electrical Safety Authority, they're the ones who are in charge of the permits and inspections. The ESA wants to put a stop to the jack-of-all-trades from messing something up in a trade that he may not be properly trained in. A trade that can create life-threatening hazards if the work is not done correctly. So, that makes sense. But, the homeowner 
can also do their own electrical work, provided they are a resident where the work is taking place, and they notify the ESA that they will be doing the work and have the work inspected. But the homeowner doesn't necessarily have to have any training at all, which, when you think about it, is kind of weird. So, as a homeowner, you have two choices. You can either hire a licensed electrical contractor, or you can do it yourself. One is easy, but can be expensive. The other may save you some money, but you basically have to take a crash course in a trade that others dedicate their professional career to. When we put our money pit house on the market, I hired an LEC to change the electrical panel because the old one was a mess. The door didn't latch and it was kind of banged up and scratched. And we wanted it to look pretty for resale value. Well, the cost of that project was $1,500. Right after we moved into our current house, we hired another LEC to change the panel here. I had my reasons for not rehiring that first guy. Um, But the cost of this project was over $3,000. Double what we paid the other guy. Now, mind you, we had a whole house surge protector installed at the same time. But the two panels weren't that much different. Now, at the same time, he also installed a sub-panel and some 20-amp circuits in the garage for my workshop. That added on another $2,600. Looking back now, I probably could have done it myself for around, I think, maybe $500. But I was motivated by having everything done quickly and completely above board without having to deal with the permits and inspections and, quite frankly, the work myself. A few months later, we hired that same LEC to run a couple new circuits for a little kitchenette area off of the family room. A fridge, a couple of counter plugs, and a plug on the other side of the new partition wall, which was now a small bedroom, along with a couple of lights. There was also some redistribution of an existing circuit, but nothing that was terribly complicated, or at least I didn't think so. Well, the cost of that project was around $3,500. You might say that the price was a bit of um, um, a shock. But I was also in a time crunch. And again, I wanted to make sure that everything was done above board. So in a few short months, we spent between nine dollars and $10,000 just on electrical. And that was a big reason why we started carrying a balance on our credit card, which turned into a losing battle that we would fight for the next five years. So looking at the basement in this house, existing circuits had to be eliminated. New circuits had to be run. The guy who flipped this house a couple of owners ago did a really sloppy job. But with the layout change in the basement and moving the laundry from one side of the basement to the other, the entire basement needed to be rewired anyway. So here's what I was looking at. A circuit for the dryer a circuit for the washing machine, and one additional plug. A circuit for five plugs in the storage area. I mean, even though we're going to be using it for storage, it's going to be a finished space. Therefore, it must be wired as such. A light circuit for the laundry and storage area that extends to the bathroom on the third level. A light circuit for what's going to be 
the recreation room and a plug circuit for the rec room consisting of eight outlets. Oh, geez, I wonder how much that would have cost if I hired an LEC to do the work. My best guess? Probably somewhere around five to $6,000. Likely more if we hired the same guy that had done the panel and the garage. So yeah, that was not going to happen. We would be back in some serious financial doo-doo if we hired a pro. Even though I would have preferred to let someone else worry about interpreting the rules and satisfying the inspector. I read and reread the Electrical Safety Authority website. I searched online for answers to questions that cropped up while I was planning what I was going to do. And searching online for answers only led to more questions because there are differences between the National Electrical Code in the U.S. and the Electrical Codes in Canada. So the first thing I had to do was make sure that I was looking at information applicable to where I live. And I had to make sure that the information I was looking at was up to date. But it was more complicated than that. Because even if I was on a forum based in Ontario, it quickly became clear that there were a lot of differences in how individual inspectors applied the code. There is room for subjective interpretation. Give you a couple examples here. Um, A fairly common practice is to leave a courtesy loop, some extra wire before it enters the uh, device box, just in case. Just in case the wires in the box get damaged by the drywallers or in case it's needed by someone sometime in the future when the receptacle or switch gets swapped out. Yet, in the discussion thread I was looking at, and this was on a forum for electricians, there were those who insisted on courtesy loops and there were those who thought they looked sloppy. And there were those who even claimed to have had their work rejected for having them. But the general consensus seemed to be that leaving a courtesy loop is a best practice. But what if I leave courtesy loops and the inspector looks at my work and is of the mind that courtesy loops are sloppy? Well, the subject of courtesy loops isn't even covered by the code. Yet this was a source of much debate. Controversy, even. But it seems there's a lot of little nuances like this that an inspection can hinge upon. One item that I obsessed about for a long time was illumination for the stairs. Code requires that our stairs be lit, and that light needs to be controlled at both the top and the bottom of the stairs. But the framing of our stairway and the ceiling do not allow for easy placement of an overhead light. Well, maybe the basement lights provide enough light for the stairs. Or do they? How much light qualifies as illumination? Seems rather subjective, doesn't it? I came up with what I think is an acceptable solution. A plug-in under-cabinet light that is the equivalent of 75 watts that seems to cast enough light on the stairs. And it can be easily mounted either above the door or on the sloped ceiling. Would this be acceptable to the inspector, I wondered? Does it matter that it's plug-in as opposed to hardwired? 
Well, at the Ruffin inspection, the inspector explained that as long as the stairs are illuminated and that illumination is controlled at the top and the bottom of the stairs, then that's good enough. In his opinion, the lights in the basement cast enough light on the stairs and that would pass as far as he's concerned. Of course, I didn't find this out until the Ruffin inspection after I beat myself up looking for a solution. In a way, you're trying to get inside someone else's head, and that can lead to a lot of doubt and second-guessing. If I hired an electrical contractor, he would have known all this, and all that guesswork would have been avoided. I talked last time about what happened when I consulted with a licensed electrical contractor for some of these answers, and, well, that didn't end well, and that falling out was one of the reasons why I decided to do it myself. Otherwise, I might have hired him. But the other reason, like I said, was mainly financial. But really, this was definitely a case of, I can do it myself. It really isn't all that complicated. Back in 2000, when I launched my website, back then it was thumbandhammer.freeservers.com, I had a short editorial article about doing your own electrical work. Basically, I found that a lot of people I knew were really intimidated by the thought of working on electrical wiring, especially making connections in the panel. And yes, fear is healthy. But if you know what you're doing, I mean, if you really know what you're doing, then basic wiring is not that difficult. Basic household wiring is... It's not rocket science. It's black to brass, white to silver, no more than 12 fixtures per circuit, 8 to 10 is better. I admit, I am really oversimplifying, but my point at the time was that electrical could be a DIY project, provided that you pay careful attention to every detail. Well, that page is long gone. When we moved into what I refer to on this podcast as the Money Pit House, we inherited an electrical nightmare. And I talked about some of the issues way back in the first episodes of this podcast, but we're talking about overloaded circuits and stuff like that. Multiple appliances on the same circuit when they should each be on their own. A whole lot of WTF going on in that house. All of which was made more perplexing considering that the previous owner had worked as an electrician. I mean, that is truly frightening. Considering that this was someone who supposedly knew what they were doing and got it so incredibly wrong and in their own house to boot. Then maybe it's not such a good idea to encourage others to do do their own electrical work. And it's especially important to make sure that you're dealing with a licensed electrical contractor. Or maybe it's another argument for doing it yourself. Anyway, I decided that when we moved into this house, I wasn't going to play around. I was going to let an electrical, a licensed electrical contractor deal with the electrical work. And that's what we did. And that put us on a slippery slope of debt. So... When it came to the basement, do I hire someone? Do I do it myself? Well, I decided to go the DIY route. 
And in the course of looking up permit requirements and researching some of the rule changes and other stuff online, my Facebook feed was suddenly inundated with advertising from the Electrical Safety Authority. Ads that encouraged hiring a licensed electrical contractor. Now, I use quotations around encouraged here because some of these ads were nothing short of fear-mongering, essentially implying that any DIY electrical work would result in fire or death. When, in reality, the ESA is there to make sure that electrical work is done safely. Now, I'm not saying they should necessarily encourage DIY work, but they should not be discouraging it either. Instead of saying, hire an LEC or risk burning your house down, you incompetent hack, they should be saying that the safest choice is to hire an LEC. But if you do it yourself, we are here to make sure that you don't burn your house down. They should be about peace of mind instead of creating this almost adversarial tone. And in fact, some of their more recent ads seem to take that more supportive approach. But I think that a lot of people have seen them as adversarial. And as a result, those people would embark on doing electrical work themselves, under the table, so to speak, to avoid having to deal with an inspector that they thought would be out to get them. Now, in the next episode of this podcast, I am going to talk about the process of doing my own electrical work, from filing my notification with the Electrical Safety Authority to the rough-in inspection. But for now, this has been the Thumb & Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. The website is thumbandhammer.com, and you can also find me on Twitter, at Thumb & Hammer. I will talk to you again soon. Until then, cheers.